Please remain standing and turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, and we'll read verses 14 to 27. So he, that's Naaman, went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord." Yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Remen to worship there and leans on my hand and I bow down in the temple of Remen, when I bow down in the temple of Remen, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then he said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, Please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants. And they carried them on ahead of him. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous, as white as snow. And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word, and we pray 
that you would come and speak to us, that we would hear the voice of our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, in our hearts, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And hearing his voice, that we would know him, follow him, and offer our hearts to him promptly and sincerely, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Who would you rather be? I remember as a child seeing my hero on the mound in game seven and thinking I want to be him when I grow up. It never materialized. Grown-ups aren't much different. How many times have I heard someone say, I wish I had his money? I never come out and say it, but what I think to myself is, if you hadn't spent your money, you'd have his money. In this passage, two people become like other people. Two people want something that someone else has. And both get it. One of them is wealthy and powerful. The other is essentially a hostage. One is at the highest levels of power. The other is a slave. Which would you rather be? Let's get to it. First, in this passage, we see becoming like the child. Becoming like the child. Look at verse 14. So, Naaman went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, we've already seen in the previous message last week that the point of it saying here that Naaman's flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child is to signal to us that Naaman has become like the little servant girl at the beginning. This girl who had been captured by the Syrian army and taken from her family in Israel in a raid. And she became a servant to Naaman's wife. But though she had nothing, she knew the one true God. Now Naaman has become like her. Remember Jesus said, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, Naaman has literally been converted and become as a little child. He has converted to the God of Israel. And we see evidence of his conversion in two ways. First, we see it in his confession. Look at verse 15. 
And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Naaman confesses that the God of Israel is the only God in all the earth. There has been a change in his thinking and believing. He says, you see, now I know. Previously, he didn't. He had been a good Syrian or Aramean all his life. He had worshipped the gods of Aram. And when he had first come to Israel to be healed of his leprosy, presumably he believed like all the other pagans of the time believed. We have our gods in our country. They have their gods in their country. The theology of the Syrians is clearly stated back in 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 23. You remember the Syrian king Ben-Hadad had led an attack against Israel at Aphek. Listen to how Syrians believe. 1 Kings 20 and verse 23. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are God of the hills. Therefore they are stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. See, their gods reign in the hills. We can't beat them there. But our gods reign in the valley. That's what they believed in Syria. But now Naaman has been disabused of this heathen nonsense. The God of Israel is not just the God of the hill country or within the domain of one region. He is the only God there is. And he is God everywhere. And Naaman now knows it and confesses it. See his confession. Second, we see evidence of Naaman's conversion in his conscience. His conscience. Look at verse 17. So Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant, when my master goes into the temple of Remen to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Remen. When I bow down in the temple of Remen, may the Lord please pardon your servant this thing. Now Naaman's got to go back home. He's still commander of the Syrian army. But he wants two loads of dirt from Israel to take back with him. He's only going to worship Jehovah. Jehovah alone. And he doesn't even want to worship him over Syrian dirt. He wants Israeli dirt. But there he is. An official function he must perform when he gets back to Syria. He must escort the king of Syria into the temple of the god, that's little g god, Remen. 
Naaman himself will not be worshiping the idol. But he must go with the king when he worships Remen. And to maintain proper decorum, Naaman must bow when he enters the temple. So he says to Elisha, In this thing may the Lord pardon your servant. And again he says, Please pardon your servant in this thing. Now some have taken this as evidence that Naaman was not really converted. He wasn't fully committed to the Lord. But Elisha's response seems to rule out that interpretation. Look at it. Verse 19, Then he said to him, Go in peace. So he departed a short distance. The prophet tells him, to go in peace. That's a spiritual way of saying, don't worry about it, it's not that big a deal. Naaman is worried in his conscience that it might be wrong to go with the king into the temple of Remen and maintain traditional Remenist Remonist, however you call it, decorum. But it's part of his job. Now, there are times that we have to take a stand. If Naaman had actually planned to keep on worshiping Remen and just add the Lord to it, that would have been sinful, idolatrous, and unacceptable. But just to escort the king and give a polite bow at the door was not sinful. Because nowhere in Scripture does everyone pre-apologize for a sin and the Lord tell them, go on in peace and do it. It doesn't work that way. But what we need to see is that Naaman suddenly had a tender conscience. He had worshipped Remen all his life. Who knows how many times he had escorted the king into the temple and bowed. He worshipped Remen just like all the other Syrians. It never bothered him before. And now he suddenly not only determined not to worship Remen, but he's concerned even about this polite formality. And his softened conscience is evidence of his conversion. Now, to be blunt, perhaps a bit tacky. It is annoying 
when a Christian, particularly a young baby Christian, is always worried everything is wrong. We know that. Paul refers to Christians with very tender consciences on every issue as weak in Romans chapter 15 and verse 1. But Paul doesn't say the weak are wrong to be worried about everything. He says, bear with their scruples rather than please ourselves. But the world has no conscience, relatively speaking. The very word pride is now most prominently associated with sexual sin and perversion. The world takes pride in sin. And when God gets a hold of a soul, that world-hardened conscience begins to break and be reformed. A baby Christian with an overly tender conscience is much to be preferred to a seared, hardened conscience. How tender is your conscience? Sign evidence that Naaman was converted. And evidence that someone really has come to know the Lord. Is they're concerned that what they do is pleasing to him and not a transgression of his word. There was a little servant girl, a hostage from war, who had nothing on this earth, but she had the one true God. And we see Naaman becoming like the little child. And secondly and finally in this passage, we see becoming like a wealthy official. Becoming like a wealthy official. Now remember Naaman offered Elisha a gift. But look at verse 16. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Elisha will not take the gift. Why not? Well, again, uh, I think Dr. Davis nailed it in uh, a sentence or two. So well stated. He said, doubtless because Elisha wanted to impress on Naaman that the Lord is a God of grace. One doesn't bribe or manipulate the Lord like pagans do. They're gods. 
The Lord doesn't forever have his hand out looking for a payoff. He is simply a gifty God. And Elisha wants Naaman to understand. A real God is nothing like yours. He refuses the gift. So Naaman goes on his way. But Elisha's servant, Gehazi, sees an opportunity. Look at verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian while not receiving from his hand what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a town of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, Please take two towns. And he urged him and bound two towns of silver and two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. Now Gehazi went against the wishes of his master, Elisha, who was so careful not to misrepresent the Lord before this pagan general. Then he flat out lied to Naaman said Elisha had sent him to get clothes and silver for two prophets who just showed up. None of this was true. Naaman gave Gehazi two changes of clothes and two talents of silver, double what he'd asked for. Gehazi handed them to two of his servants to carry. Reckon so it looked like his servants were these prophets. They showed up. When they got home, Gehazi took it all and hid it. You see, Gehazi saw this great, powerful, rich general, Naaman, and thought, I sure wish I had his money. And he saw a chance to get at least some of it. But he could not hide his treachery from Elisha. The Lord had already revealed it to him. Look at verse 25. Now he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and receive clothing, olive groves, vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. There's an element of what they call poetic justice in this. You see how the punishment fit the crime. 
Gehazi wanted Naaman's money. He lied and schemed to get it. He wanted to be rich like Naaman. And so, as punishment, he became like Naaman. He got his leprosy. Naaman is cleansed of his leprosy, his flesh restored like the flesh of a little child. He has become like the little girl, the little servant. Like her, he now knows, trusts, and worships only the true God. Gehazi has become like Naaman, like he was, a leper. Naaman humbled himself. You remember how at first he was furious when Elisha did not come out to meet him and told him to wash seven times in the Jordan River. But Naaman humbled himself, took off his fine clothes, and went down in that muddy water seven times. And notice how Naaman keeps referring to himself as your servant, Elisha's servant. He's humbled himself before God. Gehazi, on the other hand, has tried to exalt himself. Our Lord Jesus said, Whoever exalts himself will be abased, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Jesus Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on the cross for us. He touched and healed lepers because He is the God who became a man of sorrows, who bore our griefs, who took our sin on Himself so that we could be free of it. And there is no price, no payment is free. It's free to all who will humble themselves and receive it. Whoever exalts himself will be abased. But he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Who would you rather be? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.